Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Here are your hosts, Dave AC and the Sixth Doctor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Happy Mother's Day! Oh, wait, hang on. That was last week. Ah, that's right. That was our uh, Mother's Day present to, uh, to to all of you out there. Um, uh, we skipped Mother's Day, so you could all go and visit your mothers and, and be nice to them. And if you are mothers, it was your 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 break from Dave. <clears throat> so, yes, um, <laughs> you're joining us on a very busy week for the Colton Collective Podcast. We've got two shows today. Yes, that we're recording. I mean, uh, you can... If you're listening at home later on, you can listen to them at your leisure. You don't need to listen to them at the same t- at the same time. So uh, it's just gonna be busy for us recording it. If you see what we anyway, yeah. Enough explanations. It's time for Dave. Hello, Dave. That pace of that is keeping me well. It's making me breathless. Uh, I hear you. <laughs> Which, do you need some oxygen? Ah, ah, yeah. But this time I want a tube with wine in it. You you missed it out last time. <laughs> yes, it's the first time in our history that the commentary's gone out before the show review. But hey, what do you do? <laughs> it's oh, well, I've got something to tell them. Mike says Uh-oh. ditto. Mike says ditto. 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 Right. Right. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, let's get down to, to who's joining us today, because we've got a packed show. We're doing, as I said, we're doing two review shows today. Um, if you've just joined us in the room, we're going to take a brief break after we've done our first review and uh, come back in and record an entirely new show. So I'll have to do this intro all over again. Like it's you. a dilemma. I don't know whether <laughs> this is going to be the best show or the second one's going to be the best show. You'll have to listen to both to find out. Yes, there you go. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Speaking of lucky, let's see who's joining us on these live shows today. Joining us on audio. Mr. Darth Skeptical is here. Hello, sir. Hello, good sir. How are you? Very good. Very good. I'm glad you could make it. Thank you, sir. All right. I don't know, I don't know how, he, how he always jumps to the front of that queue. I know. I know. Keen. Something to do with the uh, alphabet, I think. Well, <laughs> I, I came out. I went out and came back in again, so it re-sequenced everything, I think. Ah. I think that's what it does. I don't know, if only we had somebody who worked at TalkShoe who could explain it to us. <laughs> anyway, also joining us on audio today, Rick Wall is here. Hello, sir. Ready when you are. See- oh, hi. <laughs> Not that again. <laughs> hello, hello. 
Hello, hello. I'm glad you could make it. Glad I could be here. Uh-oh, I've misplaced my cone, Dave. Oh, Dave, well, let me find one. We'll see who's in the text chat, and Dave will lower the cone of silence. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? What? Right after, right after I said that, I actually found it. It just wasn't in the usual spot. That's right. Give something to, for Dave to do, you know. In his, you know, case you got to keep his mind active at this age. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> joining us under the cone today are Mad Hell, the Seventh Doctor. Hey, Jeff. Uh, guest Seven. Wonder if they're related. Time Lord Twenty Five Twenty Five, and I poke smart. I I P O K E smart. I don't know. <laughs> it's difficult to pronounce. It's like, is some of the guest cast on Doctor Who. IP's here. All right. I think we got through that. Yeah. All right. If you would like to be part of the hilarity on this show, we're skipping news today, by the way. We've got the we've given the monkey today off. Unless somebody's got anything pressing. No. No? No. No. Okay. No, no, no. Pressing news, so we'll press on. And we'll let you know how you can join the Golden Collector. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly by the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. All right. I'm lousy at anagrams. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> All right. Well, Dave, I think it's time that we get on with this review of Oxygen. Oh, indeed. Well, of course, well, let's remind everyone that um, there will be spoilers from now on uh, as we will be playing a few clips and we'll be talking about it. And as I say, we're a little bit... Spoilers! Um, <clears throat> a little bit... Um, spoilers! Sorry, I, have, I don't have the clips that Podchuck has. Spoilers! Uh, oh, you do it so well. Yeah. Um, but um, I put in the room the actual uh, wiki link to the page. Of course, Oxygen... Um, uh, just uh, aired, well, actually, it didn't just air because uh, we're a little bit late. It aired on the uh, uh, 13th of May, May 2017, uh, certainly in the UK and in one or two other countries. And, of course, we're on Series 10, and this was Episode uh, 5. Good heavens, we're, by the time we finish today, we'll be halfway through Series 10. Um, already got an AI rating of 83 Anything in the 80s is considered very good. And in the UK, there were uh, 3.57 million viewers, which is, is slightly disappointing, but it does usually go uh, head-to-head with uh, other live events. And as we know, uh, it's one of the major uh, downloads on the BBC iPlayer. But um, although we're not doing news, 
one of the things that is changing here in the UK soon is that you won't be able to, uh, certainly even the UK users, won't be able to actually download anything on the BBC iPlayer without uh, registering and logging in. Uh, normally before, all you actually had to do was tick a little box to say that you had a TV license and then you could t continue with your downloads or whatever. Uh, because as long as you weren't trying to watch something live, uh, the idea was that, um, that you didn't need a TV license. But from April that's just gone, uh, that is no longer the case. People in the UK need to have a TV license. And that's, of course, how the BBC is funded. Uh, and that's a little bit of a digression. And I've used up about 150 breaths there. So um, let's get on. Um, let me start with uh, the first clip. I'm not going to play all the clips that I'd originally set up, but we'll set the scene. Here we go. Space, the final frontier. Final because it wants to kill us. Sometimes we forget that, start taking it all for granted. The suits, the ships, the little bubbles of safety as they protect us from the void. But the void is always waiting. Nearly there. Can you hear me? Ivan. You still can't hear you, love. You're wasting your breath. The one thing we can't waste. talking about to say uh, we're doing things a little bit uh, in the reverse order uh, but I will what I will do because there's just a few of us on audio uh, I'm going to play the second clip now uh, but then we'll go straight to Rick if that's okay so I'll play a second clip that she's again still fairly near the beginning of the episode so get us all into the uh, get our minds uh, synced into the program as it were so how does space kill you I'm glad you asked. The main problem is pressure. There isn't any. So don't hold your breath or your lungs will explode. Blood vessels rupture. Exposed areas swell. Fun fact. The boiling temperature of water is much lower in a vacuum, which means that your sweat and your saliva will boil, as will the fluid around your eyes. You won't notice any of this because 15 seconds in, you passed out as oxygen bubbles formed in your blood. And 90 seconds in, you're dead. Any questions? What's this got to do with crop rotation? Ah, uh, 
I don't know, but space is great, isn't it? Uh, I think we need Perry for a second opinion on all that science, but yeah. there you go. Uh, Rick, um, do you want to give us your thoughts? Sorry to throw you in first again, but I um, uh, hope you're okay to do that. Yes, and uh, as far as I know, there's nothing wrong with that science. No, we've got a NASA expert. We need we need confirmation. <laughs> um, but um, I liked it. A uh, good old-fashioned-ish sci-fi. Put your mind, well, not really in park, but just sit there and enjoy it. And I did. And um, although it. I was confused in a few spots, but then it unconfused me because I thought uh, maybe the the suits were actually taken over by Cybermen or somehow the suits were Cybermen for some reason. But uh, I I actually enjoyed it. The first time in a long time I've uh, really liked the uh, Doctor Who episode. Uh, yeah, um, I liked um, uh, um, the social commentary of it because, after all, what is science fiction but social commentary? Uh, a lot of people don't, but do that. Uh, um, but uh, no, I, I the direction was good. I liked um, um, the nod to other science fiction shows such as Star Trek um, and uh, a few other things. Um, But no, like I said, um, uh, a good old-fashioned sci-fi bordering on space opera, but who cares? Um, And uh, Good acting, as usual. Um, I thought um, Bill was a little out of place. Well, she didn't do much, but um, when she was acting, uh, you know, when she was awake, uh, I thought she was a little out of place, but eh, it didn't bother me that much. Um, Sometimes if you actually enjoy an episode, harder to make comments. Um, yeah. That's probably what your thought is. Yeah. yeah you know, if you, you, exactly. If you like something, you can't complain about it. So. <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, no, I, I, you know, I thought some of the science when, the, you know, he said that the people were actually... Uh, and comas and whatnot was questionable, but, um, you know, that's about the only thing I had problems with. Right, right. Uh, And did you think there were any sort of um, themes being explored there, a little bit of corporate shenanigans and, uh, you know... um... That's why I said the um, um, social commentary. Right, right, right. Um, You know, like... Oh, you know, oh, that didn't come from a rescue ship. They came from the headquarters. 
Go and on. I'm sitting there and I'm going, uh-huh. It figures. Uh, I, I kind of like the um um the thing that they were you know that they charged for oxygen. It kind of uh, um a little bit reminded me of um what was the uh, the um, original Doctor Who? Uh, there was a, a sun counter or a sun. Uh, oh, no. uh, yeah, the fourth Doctor story with the accountants. Um, yeah. Uh, they were based on was it based on Mars? Um, yeah. Um, I'm sure Darth's got the very title on his lips. Yes, uh, the sun. Yeah. What what title did you say in? Sunmakers. Yeah. yeah. Yes, the Sunmakers. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm trying to remember how far back that is, but it's quite some time. Yeah, yeah. Was it a Baker? Yeah, I think it was a Tom Baker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, and um, um, I, I, like I said, I enjoyed it. Um, uh, um, I, I would have maybe would have liked an appearance of of the Cybermen, but that might have been a little too much. But you know, like I said, to me, good old fashioned sci-fi, good old fashioned Doctor Who. Right, and uh, Jeff tells me it's Pluto, not Mars. And I'll put the link in, yeah. And and spotted that connection. There's been an awful lot of Fourth Doctor references, uh, it seems to me, in uh, in some of these stories. But, uh, okay, well, I'm sure you can come back in and talk about things. Uh, so I'll play another clip. Ian, do you want to go next, or should we go to Darth? Um, whichever. <laughs> Oh, you can go to me next. That's fine. Okay. Here's a... I'll, go, I'll click to number four. They were killed by the lab suits. Can you buy those ones too? Possibly. But we have another problem. Opening the airlock was the station's plan A. Plan B. Filtering out all the oxygen. So they can sell it back to us. Capitalism in space. If we want to keep breathing, we have exactly one option. Buy the merchandise. Oxygen levels are seriously depleted. Please step on board your Ganymede System Series 12 smart suit. Engage pressure pad to activate customized robing. You said those things were going to kill us. Well, on the bright side, we're dying already. How does this help? We know that they killed their occupants on specific orders. I think these ones are off network for repairs, so they can't receive commands. What if you're wrong? Well, we'll be horribly murdered. Let's say I'm right. Doctor. If those suits have killed 36 people, that means there's 36 corpses walking about this station. You know, that really doesn't matter right now. Correction, yeah, it does. Because I think there's something moving out there. Suits, now. And there we go.
were just some things that just, just really didn't sit well with me. I kind of liked the whole idea behind it. was a very kind of Black Mirror kind of uh, Twilight Zone idea that, you know, in the future you're going to be charged for your oxygen and it's going to become this, you know, um, thing you need to buy, this, you know, scarce resource. And uh, I think it would have been good explored on something like that where it was set up better and wasn't Doctor Who. Uh, this, this, I just, I didn't jive with the story. The one of the things that I think they took too far was the, the counting everything in breaths, um, because everybody's different. Everybody breathes differently, and so you know, counting like how many breaths it is to get to this point in the station just, uh, uh, no, no, it took me out of the story a bit. Um, the other thing that took me out of the story a bit was that there was only enough. The power in in uh, Bill's suit to kill her a little bit. Um, what? <laughs> a little bit? So she was on a little bit dead. What? I. Yeah. And all he needed to do was press a magic button inside the suit, and she was fine. Um, yeah, that that worried me. Uh, just yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the best of episodes for me. I mean, there were some fun bits in there, as there always is. I thought there were some fun lines. Um, I, I, I talk more, of course, on the on the, the Cult and Collective commentaries, which you can also download from iTunes. There's uh, some advertising there for you. Uh, there are some things I liked. Uh, the, the set work was nice. Um, it's one of those things where they make a, a good use of a very little. Uh, you know, they reused a lot of the set pieces uh, because, of course, you know, uh, the space station set up to be in sections, and one section looks like the other section, which also raises a problem as well, that the suits weren't aware of what that was, that that one section was there. Why? How did the suits not know that the one newest section? But it's the same section as everything else, and the, the suits are supposedly have some rudimentary problem solving, so they couldn't figure out that this wheel... Went all the way around. That's symmetry, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was one of those things. Ah, uh, really? But they were able to figure out from what Bill said that it existed. Yeah. It was a bit, bit naff. Bit naff. Um, the solution was kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it just it just wasn't for me. It wasn't the the best of episodes but you can't have everything you know you can't have everything appeal to you and uh, yeah um, everybody uh, acting was fine and everything um, nothing wrong with that it just wasn't the story for me I don't think and there were just some, some little plot holes in there that I didn't enjoy and so yeah I guess that's me wow well I've got I'll be certainly more uh in tune than that, uh, I'll just read what uh, Jeff's put, then I'll play another clip and then perhaps go to Darth if we may. Uh, Rick, uh, the station does have a bit of a wheel in space look, uh, so the Cybermen wouldn't have been uh, too out of a place, I think he means there, for a story like this. Oh, uh, no, just, I didn't mean that they. Uh, I just thought that it would be too much. Right. Right. Okay. Well, fine. Well, let, 
Let me uh, play a clip and then we'll go to Darth. Where are we going? Outside. Well, didn't they say that was a bad idea? It is. But I know about spot. Wait, why, 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 why do I need that? What about the uh, four-field thing? Not strong enough for a vacuum. Trust me. What happens if I throw up in my helmet? Colour and smells. Don't throw up in helmet. Check. Warning. Helmet malfunction. Uh, Doctor? Please advise local technician. Somebody stop it! Put it back on! Doctor, that's not me doing that. Put it back on! I'm trying. I can't move my arm. Stop the cycle! We can't stop it. It's automated. Now we know why your ship was being repaired. Bill! Bill! You're about to be exposed to the vacuum of space. Oh, God! So don't hold your breath! Oh, my lungs will explode. We're listening. Well done. What are we going to do? Okay, we're going to call on Darth, please. Yeah, I have to say, uh, when I first saw this thing, I uh, was very impressed with it. In, I was not checking the clock. I was not wondering when it was going to be over. I was completely along for the ride. I think it has a nice mix of characterization, uh, and this is not maybe the first point of, of real interaction between this season. I think that this is, you know, for those, I, I hear that there are people who don't like Nardole, and I don't really understand that, because I think he is value-added stuff in just about every episode, well, in every episode that he appears in. Except maybe for the first one, I don't really understand him in the, the, the Christmas episode that he originally debuts in. But I, uh, you know, I, I thought he was just fabulous in this one, showing a real range. I mean, granted, he had a lot more lines in this one than he typically has in the past. But I thought that Matt Lucas did a lot with those lines, and especially the scene at the end, where he's just vicious almost with the doctor. Yeah. Great turn for his uh, character and he doesn't waste it. I also thought that there were some really neat directorial things going on here. I was especially impressed with the uh, perspective on uh, Pearl Mackey's almost death. I don't know if anybody else is, but I'm getting dropouts from you, Darth. It's very short ones, yeah. yeah. There's not much I can do about that. Oh, yes. Um, but I, uh, you know, directorially, I think this thing is impressive. I think it's also really impressive in terms of editing because it does manage to successfully establish a mood. I think, you know, that maybe one of the things that Ian might be experiencing, and I 
doomed to speak for him, but it is something that falls apart a little bit as you watch it again. And you start to wonder mm. about the logic of it. I can see that. Um, certainly the scene that Ian brought up of the uh, zombies not knowing how to get into a section because that section was new and not being able to logically deduce what that section was going to be. That, you know, I mean, I can see why that would be a problem. I can also see an easy solution to that in that uh, you have people you know, the survivors left on board who are actively trying to fight these zombies, right? They realize them as a crisis. And so why wouldn't they, uh, you know, do things with the computer to actively try to fight against the knowledge that the zombies have? So, you know, I, I can see that. Uh, I can see it as a problem because you, you would you would think, well, there got to be able to deduce, you know, the shape of a wheel, that's pretty obvious, right? Mm. But, you know, if if they're fighting back with the computers to try to, you know, deny that knowledge or to suggest that there might be some possibility that it's not a wheel or whatever, then you can say, well, okay, I can just about buy that. But, yeah, you know, I'll repeat viewings. That is definitely something that would stick in my craw. And I'd be like, come on, let's make it. Um, Nevertheless, I mean, that is sort of a minor point, and they managed to successfully get around it relatively quickly. Um, and and so the threat continues on after a brief pause, right? Uh, which, you know, in itself might be a logical problem. I don't know. It is clearly not Jamie Matheson's, you know, point here. Um, and And yet, you know, his point... I don't know. I mean, it's it's a it's a very British sort of point, uh, I think. Um, of oh, the man's trying to get you down, and you know we should fight back against the man. I mean, that is deeply ingrained in British politics uh, in a way that it really kind of isn't to the same degree in American politics, and so I, I don't know that you know. Though, though it's an interesting statement and a timely one, as America now has a profiteer as a president, um, it, it, it resonates as a topical issue. But at the same time, the death of capitalism, really, from this one little incident? I, you know, I mean, that's uh, if we take this into Star Trek terms, because I suppose the beginning and the ending – both invite us to remember Star Trek, which invites us to remember JFK, really. Um, you know, we would have to think, all right, this is this station is basically Deep Space Nine, right? A mining facility. Um, and the overthrow of the Cardassians on Deep Space Nine or the overlords or the businessmen of this particular episode doesn't result in you know, the end of Cardassia. It doesn't result in the end of a whole way of life. It doesn't stop people from building mines in space. You know, it, it might result in some political change that is profound, but the end of capitalism, that is just, to me, that's the biggest logical leap of the entire episode. I'm like, come on. 
This is ridiculous. Only, and no offense to you, Dave, but only British people who have been stuck down in mines for a long time would think that there's some way to get rid of capitalism. I mean, that's just no, and not 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 this. Not, I mean, how many uh, there are quite a few Americans that would think that too, Darth. Not really, though. I mean, yeah, really. No, no, no. Let me finish my point. This is 140 people at the max, right? This is a tiny mining operation. This is not even a regular-sized mine in America. This is like some, you know, mine that was out west that, that lasted for, you know, 20 years or 10 years or whatever until they got the tiny amount of ore that was out of it. And to think that some sort of worker revolt in such a tiny area would re result in systemic change to the whole of capitalism is ridiculous. I mean, totally ridiculous. It's a nice thought. It, it you know, it makes you think about, you know, your relationship to your employer and all of that, and that's good. But the the conclusion that this is the end of capitalism was stunning to me. Just um, minor the assassination of a minor politician started a war. Okay. Again, let's keep to what we're talking about here, and this is a mine that had very few, that didn't even have 200 employees on it. And that who were left were just four employees that they somehow were able to, you know, cause some great systemic change is frankly laughable. Well, yeah, it's I suppose the, 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 the thing that it said, you know, at the end where he says uh, within six months, it's all brought down. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was to try and give it some sort of, you know, to 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 Pearl to give an idea that you know that's not what the future of space is where people are exploited and almost you know uh, you know just basically miners in space and 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 the human race doesn't move forward. I think it was to give mm -hmm. it a happy ending, but you're right um, that might have been one of the incidents, but um, in of itself it's unlikely. But I don't think the story intended to go that far. Yeah. Well, no, it, I mean, it clearly intended to go that far. I mean, it's well, explicit in the text. But the well, it's a throwaway is, line, I thought, at oh, the end. Is it? I mean, it's a pretty dramatic ending. But the thing Thanks, is, yeah. like, you, you can look at it two ways. You can look at it, you know, as I've just done from sort of a real-life perspective and think, well, how does that change anything? Um, but I think also it's just not true in terms of Doctor Who history. You know, I mean, if you want to take... The, I mean, I know that there are a lot of inconsistencies in the narrative of Doctor Who or whatever, but I am fairly certain Colony in Space must take place after this, <laughs> right? And Colony in Space is built upon there being the International Mining Company, you know? And uh, that seems to be up and thriving. It seems to be very much a capitalistic enterprise. Uh so, and, you know, the IMC is featured in a lot of different offshoot story, you know, comics and audio and whatever. Uh, it's a kind of a big deal. It's a big narrative tentpole that you got out there waiting for you. Uh, and I just, I don't know how this episode fits in with that. Because, I mean, this is this is sort of near term to us, right? I mean, this is still a, a, a rel this is not even as advanced a space station as like Nerva Beacon. Right sure. from Ark in space. Uh, this is something much closer to us in our time. And ISS, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't jive with, you know, 70s Doctor Who at all, really. Well, it they, doesn't they, have to it doesn't have to. I mean, Doctor Who does change itself around. We are, you know, certainly we don't have a British space uh service like was posited in Ambassadors of Death. Um a lot of things haven't actually happened. But and not only that, but a lot of things are not. I guess I'm talking about just within Doctor Who. A lot of things that started uh, in the 70s were never picked up on later. Certainly, you have great inconsistencies caused by the waters of Mars uh, with respect to like uh, Seeds of Death, Seeds of Doom. Which one is it? The Patrick Troughton uh, sixth season. There's a lot of you know uh, inconsistency there in terms of who made the first you know, uh, uh, hyper-light flight, when did they do it, all that stuff, you know, is totally inconsistent uh, between eras. But still, this seemed to me to be, for whatever reason, much more glaring than any of that. Like, the Waters of Mars thing is something that I remember a lot of people picked up on, including myself at the time, but it it wasn't super obvious. This thing, though, is saying, you know, an entire way of life, an entire system of human organization is gone because well, of this um, event. And I just thought, you know, at the end of the day, the conclusion of the episode really didn't sit that well with me. In science fiction, that's been done before, in as much as if you think of the original uh, Total Recall film with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, where they're on Mars and... Um, you know, the they they cut off the air supply to the um the workers area because they're they're complaining and uh, and Al Schwarzenegger finds the big finds the fact that actually they could have had a complete atmosphere around Mars. They've got these giant uh pumps that were built by some alien civilization, but they never switched them on because it was a way of controlling the workforce and made the resources meagre. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, famously, you know, sets it going and they tumble out of this cave and the, his face is all distorting. And then suddenly, within about six minutes, the atmosphere goes all the way around the planet and, and it's got a blue sky. And they walk out into sunlight, uh, all, all because Arnold has found a big red button, basically. So, I mean, it's, you know, miracle solutions like that have happened in science fiction. That doesn't but that's a good No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, what I'm I saying mean, is that Total yeah. Recall, though, they did that one one rebel broke the, the, um, the stranglehold that the companies had on those people working on the station. You know, they're deprived of oxygen and water and all these kind of things, and they had to use the wages to pay. I mean, here, I mean, going back to history, um, just not far from me was where um, a big canal was over the Pennines was built, and um, they had something like, you know, 120 deaths of the the miners doing it. But they were so far on the moors that uh, the people digging the the canal, uh, they hadn't got time to go into town to get food. So the company set up, Food stalls. But the food prices at the food stalls on site were like five times the price of the food. You know, a loaf of bread was a farthing in the city or half a penny. It was tuppence at the canal site. And they only had a half an hour lunch, so 
they basically spent all their wages on buying food so they had the energy to do the job. You know, it's almost mock slavery, really. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that clearly happened in America, too, like in mill towns and whatever. You know, people would uh, be forced to be in dormitories, essentially, and, and then they would well, be well, issued company script and all that. But, you know, I mean, again, the point is not necessarily can you find other examples of this, but Ridley just doesn't make sense. And especially, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, think, I think, you know, there are some real problems finding the, this to make sense, even just within, let's just take, let's just take the new series. Let's take the BBC Wales series. I mean, Impossible Planet, I'm pretty sure is positive that the crowd there is posited on. I mean, that's not a humanitarian mission. It's not just a scientific mission. I'm pretty sure it's a profit based, mission that they're on close to that black hole. I think, as I recall it, it's been a little while since I've seen it, but I think so. And like uh, the library two-parter. I mean, that is in a, it, it is not it, it is a, uh, you know, a public, what am I trying to say? It's a charity, I guess, you know, by the, the Lux Foundation or Corporation or whatever it is. But nevertheless, it's very clear that it was funded. It's very clear that somebody is in charge of the money, and there is money that is, you know, making that whole thing that River Song is on happen. I mean, and you know, River Song doesn't work for nothing. I mean, she she clearly is a profiteer. Mm-hmm. You know, so so is I to some extent Captain Jack in you know, the time agency. You know, that's never been fully explored, but you don't get the sense that he's just working for nothing. You know, and that's the whole that's the whole thing that he undergoes with the Ninth Doctor is transiting from a mercenary view of the universe to, hey, maybe I can do some good around here because I have some, you know, special talents or whatever. So I just well, I, I, I just don't think it's too it's too in the near future for me to believe the conclusion of the episode, and that's just. That's just something I'm not going to be able to get rid of, even though I do think that until that moment, until like until we get to that last scene and just that last statement by the doctor of, you know, this was the end of capitalism. I think I was really on board with the episode and I think I'm really on board with what ha- the, the little bit of dialogue that happens after that statement, you know, of oh, he's actually blind, whatever. Right. You know, I don't. I think that's good, although I don't – if you look at the scene where he's supposed to be actually blind but doesn't have sunglasses on, I'm still not quite clear how he – I don't think the acting matches the situation. I think he's too good at acting like he's blind but is trying to act like he's not blind. Like it doesn't it – doesn't, he doesn't act the same way there as he does in the next episode, Right. In the next episode, in the next episode, he is clearly not looking at people who are addressing him. Whereas that doesn't happen in in this episode, so that's a little bit broken in terms of the acting. But unless, again, uh, I, unless, I, I unless at that that point he thought that it was going to be curable by the TARDIS, so he wasn't overly concerned. Where after Nordle, yeah, come. A little bit of info on that after watching um, the the after show. I do believe that um, it keeping him blind for the next story or two 
um, wasn't added until later. Right. And so I think that 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 last scene where he says I'm still blind was added on afterwards. So that's why the acting doesn't mesh with him being blind at the end of the at, at you know when they're still in the TARDIS. That's the impression I got from the from what they were talking about on the on the after show is that that it was kind of picked up later that like oh hey let's make him blind, you yeah. know. And, that and makes sense. That. Yeah, it, and yet to me, it doesn't look like he was trying to. Mm. Yeah, but that, in some ways that doesn't work for me. And as much as I would have thought, uh, as Stephen Moffat's the director, uh, the episode that was going to follow uh, Oxygen, uh, who, whoever he'd, you know he commissioned to write, say, look, uh, you can go anywhere you want with this story. I want it to be a space story, but the outcome has got to be the Doctor's blind. I would have thought that would yeah. have been the premise of the story, because the next story. It's integral to the story that is going to be blind. Because he has to be wearing the glasses because he has to send a message to himself. But that's spoiler for the next one. No, we, get, we can talk about that later. I don't, I don't know if that's necessary because there's a story within a story. And all that Moffat would have had to have done was to change the story, that part of the story. Right. So it could have been worked in at the last minute without particular difficulty. I don't. Let, think. let me just direct you a little bit, uh, Dad. Did mm. you like as the one of the scenes I like was when he mm. opened the TARDIS doors and filled the whole space station with air? I thought that was lovely because you know you think well there's not enough air in the TARDIS, but of course this this <laughs> you know, that TARDIS could fill that space up a thousand times with air from all its rooms and what have you. Uh, did you like any use of that or any other? Well, I, I did, and at the same time, you know, this is again one of those things that when you go back and look at it, you're kind of wondering what is going on. Uh, so the station has built into it the ability to take oxygen out and reprocess it as something that needs to be sold back to you? Is that... Maybe, I guess? I mean, I, I guess that's what we're led to believe is what happens to that auction, or does it just... But how do you do that? Especially because... No, they said they vented it out, which means that they get left the station somehow. Yeah, it did, that didn't work, because the thing is, anyway, if they didn't put oxygen in there in the first place they wouldn't expect any new oxygen to come to the place other than what they'd taken in, I don't know, liquid storage containers, you know, under pressure. I, yeah, I, I thought, mean, the, the mechanics of it don't make yeah, a lot of yeah. You know, not only that, but like closing off, I don't get this, closing off the TARDIS, does that, you know, with a door, does that stop the doctor's ability to snap his fingers and open the door? Does that stop the doctor's ability to use the sonic screwdriver through the glass? He but can't. the air would have been on the other side of the door then anyway, so it wouldn't have been any No, no, no. But see, that, that doesn't make any sense because why would the internal doors on a space station be airtight? What's the point of that? Unless, okay, in lockdown mode, I can kind of understand that. Like if there's a danger and part of the uh, station is ripped apart uh, from the bulk of the station. Like I can kind of understand the need for 
doors then to be sealed. But in normal, ordinary use, why would why would you spend that much energy to lock it off? It is kind of yeah. that part. I mean, you just really that is not what you're supposed to come away from and, and do all this nitpicking. You're just supposed to believe, okay, somehow, some way, through some kind of magic, we have found a way to productize oxygen and to sell it to you. And that's a problem because that means that a corporation is now directly in charge of your life. Directly. Yeah. In a way yeah. that in the way that's only true when typically you are sick and they are able, a corporation is able to you know, ration out the amount of medicine that it has to keep you alive, right? Yeah. Um, I, I would have thought the better idea would have been if you're in the suit, you're on your work hours, so the oxygen is free. But then there was a relaxation, a 10 forward somewhere in there. But if yeah. you wanted to go into 10 forward and get out of your suit, you paid for the privilege of 10 forward and getting out of your suit, and they would provide air in there. But, well, you know, you need air to do your work, so you think that would be the free air. Well, the air yeah. that you needed to live on your downtime, you paid for. Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh. uh, go ahead. Here's the way I was oh. trying to get in there. Yeah, I, I started to say it a couple of times, and then I took it back. Um, you know, watching it, um, uh, good old-fashioned sci-fi, put your mind in park and just enjoy it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, I mean, there's that thought, uh, and 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 certainly, I was able to do that for like forty four and a half minutes. Right. You know, I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was really good, and yeah, it's really not bad for an episode of Doctor Who these days. I mean, it, as a standalone episode, I think it's a it's a really tense kind of thriller sort of thing. Um. I did that with Voyage of but, the Damned. I liked the first forty odd minutes of the Voyage of the Damned, and it went daft on me. Oh really? I no <laughs> Voyage of the Damned. I was I was done the moment it wasn't actually the Titanic. I was done. Okay, right, I was like, right. this is the biggest cheat ever. I mean, there are good things that you can get from Voyage of the Damned, uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, it kind of has a lot of. Uh, the British and let's just say Australian actors that I don't really like that much. Um, so uh, you know, I was done after it wasn't real. But I mean, this thing—it's it, very frustrating. I know that I've been very hard on on that one aspect of it, but I mean, that is the conclusion, right? I mean, that is that is not actually. I mean, is it is it denouement? I don't know if it technically is. I think it really is the you know outcome of the event. Just really took me out of it, and, and and again for the reasons that I don't think it's realistic for real life, and I also don't think it makes any sense within the Doctor Who universe that's been posited, even within the BBC Wales era, but certainly going back through the history of Doctor Who. That said, I think that up until that moment, it probably is uh, my favorite base under siege story. Like in terms of the actual peril and all that, uh, this is maybe largely because we don't have Fury from the Deep. I kind of think, you know, from the audio, that Fury from the Deep would be my favorite if I could see the whole thing. Midnight. That's not. Is that Mason on stage? Well, uh, in a contained. I guess. Thing. I mean, it sort of is. I guess if you're going to throw that in there, then something's yeah. outside banging to get in. Yeah. 
I suppose. And that one has less plot. Certainly doesn't really. Uh, yeah. Clever, clever, clever writing. Yeah, clever writing. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, and and actually, this is not unclever writing. This is actually really good dialogue. Mm. And it's and it's you know the situations that it manages to string together uh, are are really good and intense and all that. But uh, it's. Mm. Did you think the, the blue the the blue man? Did you think the blue man was an alien? I thought at first it was like Darian, or what he's called, but it's not. It was a. I think Ian knows a little bit more about this. He was a. He was just a human who who liked to paint himself blue. Well, he was. Well, oh, he, I didn't. I a, oh, just a genetically blue human, which oh. they never. I don't know whether something got cut, but that was mm-hmm. never really explained. But I saw yeah, some of those and and the actor playing the part said he's just a blue human, and it's like that was never explained in the episode, mm-hmm. and so therefore her, her, the whole racist thing kind of gets lessened. It's like you know, like yeah, hmm. you know, uh, yeah, yeah, so that was weird. Like, I, that that was yeah. that would have been really cool if we'd known that, but we didn't. Hmm. Yeah, I just took it as you know, even though what was said to be racism, I I took it as speciesism, really. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Xenopho- xenophobia, yeah. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's an interesting tidbit. No, but I like that line. I mean, the actual, the, mm. the dialogue and the setup and the the whole, in, in fact, the the acting and everything about that I thought was really, uh, no real the most memorable line. You know, most memorable situation. No home. real enemy again, Darth. This is another episode with no real baddie. It, well, you could say the corporation was the baddie, but we've, you know, in each case, it's not been the story's not had a baddie, has it? I mean, even in Smile, they were misdirected uh, robots, thinking that they were curing an illness and. Uh, um, oh, I think there was, there was a baddie in Thin Ice. Oh, well, oh. oh, there was the baddie in Thin Ice. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was exploiting it, certainly, yeah. yeah. But the creature itself yeah. wasn't evil. Yeah, the creature wasn't evil, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a common Doctor Who trope, really, isn't it? But... Mm, yeah. the, the thing that spoils it for me a little bit, and, and mm. this is, I'm going to reference Beast Below, I'm sorry, but uh, I don't know why at the beginning when they showed the, the two... Uh, space-suited figures coming back to the space station. Why yeah. they didn't show them basically jumping or rocket-packing off the asteroid? Because I kept saying in the commentary, well, where's this asteroid they're supposed to be mining? And it's only in the very last shot you see the asteroid below um, you know, the yeah, space below station. station. Yeah. But you don't see it at all until then. You think, well, where the hell are they mining? Oh, I guess that, that didn't bother me. I mean, I'm too much of a Deep Space Nine fan to look. I mean, it never even occurred to me that that was a problem. They're on the space station. They're mining. That's what you do with a space station. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, but they, they didn't fly back to it, did they? They didn't come back into transport. They were just floating through space. So I'm thinking, well, low gravity of it. They've pushed themselves off the, the, the you know, a one kilometer wide meteorite. Oh, no, it wouldn't be a meteorite, but you know what I mean, a... Uh, a lump of rock in space. 
I mean, the bigger problem. Hold on, just a second, because the bigger problem for me in the whole thing is why did the zombies start in the first place? Like that cannot be a business plan. (laughs) Well, they said that their profits are down. They hadn't done very well with the mining, and so it was cutting the cost. They basically were selling that. You know, they decided that it wasn't it wasn't a going concern. So. You know, right. We'll get rid of these staff and we'll bring in some because the, the the rescue ship wasn't a rescue ship; it was yeah, replacement yeah. staff. Yeah, like I get all that. Well, okay, I actually don't get the replacement staff, so it's unprofitable. So let's kill off the people who actually know how to do this job and replace them with people who don't. That's actually not a great business model, exactly. Uh, but the but the bigger thing is, I guess from a business standpoint, why do you need to create zombies? to kill off your original staff whenever you've already got them on the leash of oxygen supply. Why not just let their oxygen supply expire? And there you go. They're dead. Yeah. I don't I don't really understand the whole zombie thing. I mean, it was sort of frightening. They're not really that integral to the plot exactly. They they move some people, you know, they move people around on the board of the the map. But it made it made it better for them when they were walking outside the space station. It looked a little bit more, yeah. Know, I mean, again, this is, it, it, visually it's all great and intense and all that, and I, I get it. And certainly, the first time I watched the episode, I'm like, I understand. This is fine. I'm being swept away by this whole thing. But when you think about it, <laughs> that is not an efficient way to kill people. You don't create zombies and then have them go. <laughs> I don't even know how, who would come up with the plan to kill. I mean, it's like it's kind of like who is the first person to decide to eat oysters? Gross! Why would you do that? And, and, and the interesting thing is, it's like okay, they at some point had to there had to be a, which came first, the chicken or the egg. So yeah, at one at some point, somebody at the corporation turned off a body in one of the suits, right? Yeah, yeah. And then ordered the suit to go and turn off all the other suits. Yeah. Well, if they had the ability to turn off one suit from wherever they were, yeah. why didn't they just turn them all off? I don't know. <laughs> Completely <laughs> unknown. When you think about this episode, the worse it gets. It really does unravel. But yet, at the <laughs> same time, as an exercise in filmmaking and how to create tension and horror and all that, it's actually really good. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I don't hate it, and there's some really good bits to it, but it's just the, the, the story, and the it's the more I think about it, the worse it gets. Yeah, it's weird. It's very okay. weird that way. Let's let's have another clip, and then uh, we'll move on, and we'll, uh, well, I'll perhaps have a little go. What happened to the doctor? I thought I saw Yeah, him. he, the doctor took you to safety. He gave you his helmet. He died? He should have done. I don't know how we survived. Listen, about the doctor. He walked in a vacuum for far too long. He's mostly okay, but he paid a price. What do you mean? He's in Section 12. Bill, you're up. You're blind. I am. 
Oh, well, that explains the bruised chins. Oh, don't go all gooey on me. It's temporary. Really? Yeah. Once we get back to the TARDIS. The TARDIS? Mm-hmm. I've got stuff in there that'll cure anything. Failing that, I think I've got some spare eyes somewhere. They're from a lizard, but I'm sure they'll fit. So, um, until then. Until then, what? You really think this is going to slow me down? I do most of my best work ordering other people around. Yeah, we've got another person joining us. Welcome. We're we're almost up on this uh, one, but um, was it Enlightenment? Whether it was at the Fifth Doctor and the cricket ball, he 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 can survive a very short time in space. And of course, when when you hear that, he gave his helmet to Bill. What you forget? No, about that's, it? that's uh, for the Doomsday. Oh, thank you, thank you. And, yeah, and if you're talking about the Doctor's ability to survive in space, that's also. Uh, Ambassadors of Death. You have him crawling around outside of a space capsule somewhere. Right. Of course, with this this particular method of this spacesuit, there's actually a, a surrounding of oxygen around the head. Uh, it, it's just the extra. And um, Ian, you said quite a good thing on the uh, the commentary. The uh, the fact that um, they've been using bubble wrap all this time, and then finally they actually have spaceships. A space Basically, helmet. Yeah, the, the, the helmets <laughs> actually look like they were made of bubble wrap. I'm like, oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they were obviously collapsible ones they could keep in the pocket because they didn't need them all the time. Um, yeah, as I say, there are lots of references that, um, that that I talked about, but uh, things like Total Recall was was one of those things. Um, um, yeah, uh, I think the disappointment—not disappointment—it was—it seemed a pity that we were following from a horror one, the the the, the haunted house type one, to this one. Um, I, I would have preferred this not uh, to have been a straightforward one. Although in actual fact, the the forty-two, which I liked, you know, burn with me, uh, had this element, and, and they're certainly trying to recapture that. I like the uh, the thing, the idea of um, releasing the oxygen out. Uh, I do think Nordle did some good uh, useful links here because because he's providing this sort of information it, it releases um bill from having to 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 have those sort of questions and dialogue and she can be a little bit you know uh more left field in the things that she says um uh so yeah i think this was the episode that i enjoyed the most on first watching it was the it was one of the easier ones to watch, uh, and it followed around quite nicely. Um, the only, the only, I was also taken out a little bit when I saw the doctor towards the end, and he was blind, and he was he was he was setting up the machinery, and then there was this like um, console area, and that console to me looked exactly like the one in the Almost People Rebel Flesh, and, and just to remind you, that's when we had the Ganga Eleventh Doctor, and the the doc, the Eleventh Doctor, and the Ganga Doctor. Were, were jumping up and behind, behind this sort of console. And I thought, it, it looked as though they'd reused that scenery. Um, I like the idea, because we're getting towards the end now in our time, I like the idea that the Doctor persuaded them that their only option was death. And they must, basically, they had to act the part that they'd agreed that that was the solution, that, that they had the satisfaction of destroying it and i mean that space station must cost you know a billion credits or whatever it cost uh, 10 billion credits and so uh he, he gave them and he was selling them to that 
as a solution. It wasn't. He just wanted them to play act so that the the computer would not question the fact that they were determined that um, this is just going to be a total loss for your company. And uh, of course, uh, that didn't compute, and uh, and it brought like. Uh, and I do I do know, and uh, I think Jeff, the some doctor, was having this issue about he wasn't quite sure how Bill could be sort of partially dead. Because, um, I mean, the, the explanation was, as we saw her suit keep, kept malfunctioning, and even though the three suits that they'd taken, Nordle, the Doctor, and her, she seemed to have the most damaged of the three suits. Um, but it did seem funny that, you know, she looked totally zombified. Um, uh, it would have been better almost as though she'd just gone funny, but perhaps without those markings. I really do think they should have been a little bit clearer about this blue man, um, uh, because I, I just assume he was from the same race um, as Dorian. Um, although I think a lot of the blue ones had always been a, a rather, they'd always had plump actors to play that part. I don't know. Um, but uh, Ian himself did say rather a lot, uh, even with the limited breaths that Ian gave me on that. So um, I, I'll probably stop. I'm thinking, Ian, we'll, I'm going to just play one more clip. I don't think we should play the next time one since we're going to the next time story very shortly. So let me play this clip. I don't know whether anybody in text wants to put, like Madhal wants to put a rating. Um, I'm going to give this a, certainly this was a four out of five on first viewing. Um, I'm getting some doubts now, but I'll play this little clip in and then perhaps you, Rick, and uh, anybody in the text will just go through ratings and we'll perhaps finish uh, in in five or so minutes, and and uh, you can tell people what's happening. As far as I remember, there's a successful rebellion six months later. Corporate dominance in space is history. That about wraps it for Capsulus. <laughs> then the human race finds a whole new mistake. But that's another story. Can't wait. But you will. Later. Never again. Stop talking now. I'm serious. We were so close to not making it back. Then what happens to the vault? You know what's at stake here. Really, stop talking. What have you got killed out there? Huh? What happens to your precious Earth then? You need to be here, and you need to be ready if that door ever opens. Look at me. My God. What if you came back injured or sick? You really think our friend down there won't know that? Won't sense it? Look at me! Although I can't. I really can't. I can't look at anything. Ever again. I'm still blind. I'm not seeing any ratings going in. Do you want me to read those few bits out from Facebook? Sure. Go right yeah, ahead. Okay. Yeah. If you've got any uh, anybody in the text chat, go ahead and put them in now. Okay. Mark puts, uh, my least favorite of the series so far, actually dozed off. Admittedly jet lagged after just getting back from the UK, uh, but still very unusual for me. Oh, Ian falls asleep all the time. Uh, um, yeah. Um, Jeff Waddle puts, um, I thought it was genuinely outstanding uh, and heaven sent apart uh, not the awful dross that followed it, 
by far and away my favourite Capaldi episode. Couldn't fault it. Uh, Colin Hicks uh, just thought, do we know why the Doctor went blind? Well, we know it's needed for next episode, I suppose. He, he, it was mentioned in the lecture at the beginning. Um, uh, and, and Jeff, oh yes, it's the bit about the vacu- uh, vacuum turning your eyes to mush. Um, and um, some of these are nested replies, so it's a little bit difficult to just come up to the thing. Um, Craig, um, I don't see why there's some negativity, really. It wasn't a unique story, unless you mentioned the suits were alive and not the occupants, but it had me hooked right to the end. It was political, as the writer mentioned, uh, but more of a warning than a prophecy. And Rebecca, yes, we have girls that contribute in. Um, just caught up with this episode. Uh, quite enjoyed it all. Like the effects, uh, a Star Trek reference, uh, and and uh, really a real take on corporations' value. Overall, a two thumbs up. Uh, particularly liked how they subtly touched on skin colour prejudice, and Bill's shock that Darren didn't see anything different about her. Well, and. Um, yeah, um, will this girl? I hope will, will this girl will come back to our calls a bit in the future. I'm hopeful she's listening back. Uh, over to you, Ian. I'm I'm about done now. I'd say so. <laughs> <laughs> Turn me over. I'm done. <laughs> Stick a fork, Stick a fork in them. <laughs> All right, Mad Al gives it a four out of five. Um, Jeff says I was disappointed with it. Doesn't fit in with uh, economic systems seen in Doctor Who before. Can't believe capitalism collapses because of this. I did like Nardole and Bill in this. Good banter between Nardole and the Doctor, like the uh, like the blindness twist. Uh, three out of five. And I'll probably say you know, two, two and a half out of five for me, just, you know. And, and the more Darth talked, <laughs> the more he talked me down on ratings. Cause, yeah, <laughs> the more, more holes I saw in it, it's like this is just falling apart as as I dig into it, which you know, it sometimes happens with stories. You know, you brush away the surface stuff, and you know, sometimes it's not meant to be brushed away. Sometimes you're just supposed to take it for what it is. But you know, that's the problem when you're in the kind of position that we're in, where we review these things and watch them multiple times. Is you know, they they some things just don't survive multiple viewings. Are oh, you going to say something, Rick? Put your mind in park and enjoy it. Mm, there you go. All righty. Well, I think that's it, Dave. Yeah, indeed. No, I didn't Have get you... my rating. <laughs> oh, yeah, what's your rating? Oh. Or Darth, I don't think either, unless I miss them. Darth doesn't get them. I don't know if Darth believes in ratings. <laughs> um, Four out of five t- TARDIS groans, as Ken would say. Dave, did you did you give a rating? Yep, four for this one. Because oh. certainly on for it was the nice. To, uh, it was one of those I I enjoyed on first viewing, where most of them I tend to imp- they tend to improve on second and third viewings. I don't mm. think this one will improve. No. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for us. Yes, we're going to scurry away and uh, uh, enjoy bathroom breaks, etc. Get uh, refills on coffee and. Uh, and pile back into the studio soon and uh, record our next review 
Uh, but you, of course, can just skip on to the next uh, the next download and uh, enjoy us right away. Yeah, see? The magic and wonders of technology. You ready to go? Wonderful. Dan? If you've got the outro, or do you want me? Oh, I think I've got that somewhere. I forgot about it. Yeah, we need that thing, don't we? Outros. Yes, uh, as Dave said, we're not going to play the uh, the next time trailer because, yeah, we're going straight on to the next time bit thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this thing just responds. Sonic glasses at the ready. Sonic glasses at the ready. All right. Well, we'll catch you on the flip side, folks. Um, so until next time, which is about 10 minutes, it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC. It's goodbye from Ian, the Sixth Doctor. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.